The Rough Drafts Podcast is sponsored by Unicorn.com, the world's premier esport betting site. Log on today to bet on all your favorite esports titles at the simple click of a button. Choose your game, choose your team, earn Unicorns, and who knows, maybe you'll earn enough to enter to win any number of fabulous prizes, such as Logitech peripherals or CSGO skins in their marketplace. Unicorn.com. Log on today. Hello, Internet! This is Chase Retro King Wassenaar. I am a free agent, head coach, and analyst, as well as a contributor at Slingshot Esports. And welcome to the semifinals edition of the EU LCS Guess the Lions podcast. It is a very interesting week in Europe now that the quarterfinals have come through. The Unicorns of Love did us faithful right in pulling out a win against Giants Gaming and, and H2K. Wiped the floor with a fanatic that was just not really there, like, at all. So, we've got a lot to break down as they now head against the top two seeds in Europe, but I can't think of anyone I'd rather break it down with than my good friend, Walter Cietis Fetchuk. Walter, how you doing, man? I just have the smuggest smile on my face, just so you know that. It's just absurdly smug right now. Because God given has finally won a playoff series. Finally. I'm just so happy. I mean, I, I guess, yay, congratulations. I, I don't know, man. It, to me, that game, and I guess we'll just start here, right? Like, first of all, we have the technical delays that push the game to Tuesday, which is just unfortunate. I, I know a lot of people were upset about this. But Walter, you have experience with these kinds of technical issues before. Can you kind of just explain to people at home who are upset why this isn't necessarily Riot's fault per se? Yeah, so, so from my, my minor experience with, with production stuff, audio issues are, are a monster to have to deal with. They are, they are really bad. And my, uh, my, my former boss once told me, because he used to be an audio engineer, once told me, a story of they were doing some event or something and they had this really bad like feedback you know buzzing staticky kind of sound and they tried replacing all the cables from the microphones they tried you know doing whatever and it ended up being like an ac adapter for one of the boards was causing the issue because it wasn't quite the right voltage so audio is long story short audio can be any one of a million different things you, you talk about the visual stuff. Okay, a camera. Something is wrong. You know, if your picture quality is messed up, all right, it's going to be something either wrong with the camera, it's going to be something wrong with the cord, or it's going to be something wrong with the import, the inputs that either that the cord is going into at either end. Like, you have basically three things you can check. Audio can be literally anywhere in that audio system could be causing that feedback to happen. And while it's more likely that if it's an isolated thing, so one headset can't hear or has some sort of feedback... You could be going back, you know, three to five different points along that audio line, that connection, through any of the the, the talkback switches, through any of the boosters, through anything, and figure out what it is. It could be that it is 
the one board, uh, the one soundboard that's controlling all of their communication system. In that, they're going to have inputs that are coming not only from the PC so the players can hear in-game audio sounds, but also inputs from all the other players so they can all talk to each other and the, the coach has a technically has a microphone. Plus there's probably mute switches on all of them. Plus there's a bunch of other things. So literally any one of these tiny little connections and that cord, if it's not working at 100%, could cause an issue. So I, I think that we've been insanely lucky that they haven't had any real like long-term technical issues across either North America or Europe, given the fact that they have two studios. And I'm not as angry that it took so long for them to fix it just because I know how frustrating it can be. And someone made a tweet that like their audio engineers and stuff probably didn't sleep for two days until they figured it out and they tested it, you know, 30,000 times and made sure that it was perfect. Cause that's the last thing they want to happen is have some sort of, you know, production issue harm the, you know, harm the outcome of the games. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think it's one of those things where you can very clearly look at, what happened here and how it broke down and say that Riot did everything possible. They delayed it for several hours before they made this call. It clearly wasn't the thing that they wanted to do, but it is what it is. And unfortunately, this created a two-day delay that is now going to give Splice a little bit less of what's supposed to be their first-round advantage. It's unfortunate that Riot can't do anything to immediately make the audio issues go away. That's just not the perfect world in which we live. Uh, it would have been nice had they switched the schedule to give Splice the Sunday game instead of the Saturday one, which would have made up for at least one 24-hour time period, but that's not what they've chosen to do. So here we are, and unfortunately, this is just what they're going to have to deal with. Now, before we get into exactly how that's going to affect the Splice series, I do want to talk about what actually went down between H2K and Fnatic, because you and I spent most of this podcast last week going back and forth. I was so in on Fnatic and the playoff bump and everything was going to come together, and you were so in on God Given and H2K and the way they'd played the last week. Yep. And you ended up being the correct one of the two of us. Yep. So go ahead and take your victory lap. How did we get here? Um, it was a combination of probably understanding the patch and Nico Lupigo not, and Fnatic just really putting themselves in a bad position when it came to pick ban phase. And then it came down to Fnatic just played like They just looked awful across the board. Spirit playing Nidalee multiple times, like, I... I don't know why. I don't know why they did what they did, but Fnatic just looked so out of sorts. Fabivin didn't look like he cared about what was going on. Kickus was trying his hardest. You could tell he was trying pretty hard. But after that game one drubbing by Oduwamne, where Fnatic basically threw him out on an island, and after he gave up first blood, we're like, well, you're f Screw it. You just keep dying. You just keep doing that thing. We're going to try and play 4v4 on the rest of the map. And it, it just didn't work. They just played terribly. And H2K played that much better. Yonkos has returned to his official First Blood King form. Ryu looked solid in the mid lane. Oduwamne was definitely given the tools where he could win games. Where he was really being the primary carry, especially in games 1 and 2. And then in game three, it was just playing around this kind of rundown composition with the the Hecarim and the Sivir, and they just played really well. I, I think H2K had 
you know, out of the top, top five players, they had four of the best five players on the Rift. And they could, you could argue that all five of their players were better than the other five players from Fnatic. I mean, I'm going to give Reckless props. He managed to go up against the monster that is forgiven and either win or go even in lane every single one of those games. One of them was on Sivir, which are kind of supposed to win lane, but then they let Forgiven play Sivir twice, and he still managed to have CS leads in a lot of those games. The problem was not Reckless. The problem was no one could carry the dead weight that was Yellowstar, and Forbiven looked terrible. I mean, they kept putting him on this Lissandra, and the ideal with a Lissandra is that you're going to flank, and you're going to use these TPs. They kept running these double TP comps, and I kept waiting for them to remember that they had a D button on their keyboard because they just weren't using it. They weren't making proactive plays, and some of that had to do with vision. Fnatic's vision in this series was horrendous. I don't have another word to use for it. It was just completely missing from the map. I remember watching this game. Walter and I were actually on comms at the time, and there were moments where I would point out to him that they had two or fewer wards on the map at certain instances in the game. And that's just not acceptable on an LCS level, especially when you're trying to play from behind, especially when a team like H2K is built around you know finding a Yankos who will isolate you. There's a reason Yankos ended with a 19-point OKDA this past weekend. I mean, it's really incredible just how far ahead that this kind of thing went. And I mean, I'll, I'll put it this way, Walter. Is this the end of an era for Fnatic? Is this something that they can bounce back from when regionals roll around, or are they done? I... I think unless they really get on the same page and maybe, you know, a couple extra weeks will help them really understand the patch, um, you know, the patch changes and kind of how everything shifted. This was their first time getting back into sort of a standard lane setup. Um, and I don't think any of the European teams actually played the standard lanes really well outside of Unicorns um, in two of the games. Uh, whereas you looked over at North America and CLG was constantly doing this late rotation into the swap you know, shifting everybody top and then pushing down the top lane towers. Um, I thought that was really innovative. I just didn't see a lot of it in Europe. And if they did, it was always really, really delayed. It seemed like CLG was doing it around like the six minute mark, right when those protections started to wear off. And in Europe, it seemed to be much, much later. Um, we also saw a heavy prioritization from, from junglers on ranged attack junglers outside of like the Hecarim. Um, we didn't see Rek'Sai's really. We didn't see Gragas at all. Um, it was really Elise, Nidalee, Graves, which just gives me a brain aneurysm to say that name. But yeah, can we just unless... put a can we just put a referendum on Graves? By the way, like, if we, did we see a single good Graves this entire weekend in either region? No, not at all. The problem is that the problem is that we're going back to people think they need to push towers really fast, and I think the only way to do that is to have a third range character come up and auto attack it. You, you don't. If you play that around that tower right and have the right setup, a Rek'Sai can be just as effective at taking down a tower as an Elise. Like, it can happen. You just need to play it smarter. But they're kind of handicapping themselves by saying, oh, I need to have this range jungler so I have that extra range that I can auto attack as. I, I don't agree with it. And I mentioned this to you in the call. I think we might see some Nunu sneak its way back in. I don't think he'll be a priority, like, super strong jungle pick. But, you know, if you could pair him with something like Tristana, you just can push towers very, very quickly. Um, maybe we'll even see support Nunu 
throwback to season one. I, uh, I'm going to rule out support Nunu because I think there are so many other good supports. Oh, there. A- absolutely. But, but in Fnatic's case, yeah, maybe they'll figure out the patch on given another couple weeks, but they just didn't look like a team. No. They just looked like five guys that happened to wander onto the stage at the same time and happened to all play League of Legends. I yeah, they they looked really bad, and this team's going to get blown up in the off season. I don't know. Playing League of Legends may be a strong word for what they did against H two K. No, they physically were at the keyboard. They were clicking in the game. They were clicking on their keyboards. They were doing things in the game. They were playing the game. Whether they were succeeding at playing the game is an entirely different, you know, piece altogether. Yeah, I guess they were technically right clicking on the keyboard and mouse. I honestly. Fnatic looked like such a mess to me that I feel badly for having any faith in them in the first place. It, it's one of those things where it, it's no longer, you know, Daylor left because he had some other things he wanted to take care of. He probably saw the dumpster fire coming and abandoned ship while he could still go out and go on and do other things in other esports, as he stated. It's just such a mess of a situation over there. And I do have to ask, Walter, does it change the way we view the sheer dominance that H2K had? Because as you mentioned, they were dominant in this game, but a lot of it felt self-inflicted from Fnatic's part. Just the lack of vision, the lack of mid lane, you know, using the teleports, using their engages, using spirit to do just about anything. Does it take away from what H2K accomplished on paper that their opponent was just that far off the rails? Oh, oh, yeah, it, it definitely does. H2K looked amazing comparative to their opponent, but Fnatic just didn't put up much of a fight until Game 3. And, yeah, sure, they held the, the, you know, they held a small lead in Game 3. They were able to get you know, the first Baron of Game 3, but they kept folding under pressure because they just weren't picking anything effective to really counteract what H2K was doing. You, know, you understood what H2K's goal was. It was that they wanted Yakos to play around the mid and the top lane and let Forgiven and Vander just kind of survive the bottom lane. And Fnatic did a good job early on in continually pulling Yankos into that bot lane to try and make it a 3v3 and go, okay, well, you know, we're going to neutralize Yankos, who is, you know, the first blood king, this very effective early game ganker. And if we can constantly pull him, that's taking away from his strength. And Yankos' strength is definitely not in the mid to late game. He's not like a peel tank kind of player. He's like, no, he wants to be aggressive. He wants to get into enemy lanes going, you know, early on and start killing people. And they were able to kind of effectively do that in game one. And then in game two and three, Yankos just kind of looked at Forgiven and said, you're on your own, dude. Like, screw this. I'm going to go kill people. And had, you know, an absolutely phenomenal game two and three where he kind of just said, eh, spirit, you do whatever you want to do. I'm going to go kill your top laner and your mid laner. Like, H2K was very, very blatant about what their strategy was, going with the Tristana, going with the Sivir, you know, just trying to push down the towers, use Forgiven as what he's notorious is for, is as a tower pusher, and then just kind of team fight with a really strong solo lane combination. Uh, you know, the fact that you let Ryu play Vladimir three games in a row, okay, I guess that's okay to do if you don't want to win a series. H2K played well, but I think Fnatic was so awful that it does detract a little bit from what H2K was able to accomplish. Yeah, I I think that's fair. It's kind of hard to 
evaluate a stomp like that, right? You look at, you know, in North America, we'll talk about what Jensen did to Envious, which I'm pretty sure they're not allowed to air in certain countries. But, you know, at the end of the day, we do have to give credit for H2K for doing their job. And they did it, in my opinion, quite masterfully. I thought Oduwamne looked as good as he has in a long time. I loved seeing what he was doing. You know, I loved Yankos coming out and really showing just how good of a jungler he can still be at this time in his career. I think the bot lane did what they needed to do. And I'll say this, and I'm curious where you come on this, Walter, because you worship at the altar of God-given. This has been your guy for forever. I think that the biggest and most important change that they made was that they are now in a position where they can count on him to be supportive Instead of having to be the end carry in its own right. Do you think that that's going to make a big difference as we head into the Splice series? I think it now is starting to shed another layer away from the criticism of Forgiven, his inability to play any other style. You're 100% correct. He lost lane, technically, in terms of farming to, to Reckless. I think that instead they were able to put a lot of pressure on the Yellowstar, um, and we're constantly able to, you know, get first bloods and, you know, skirt their way out of other situations because they were playing so well in the lane itself and in terms of controlling the position of where the lane was. But yeah, it just kind of sheds another, you know, aspect of this critique of Forgiven that he is, you know, unable to play outside of his own style. Like, he played Tristana in game one, and I thought that was like, oh, here we go again. Like, this is forgiven being forgiven. But then the fact that he went to Sivir, which is a champion he's notoriously against, um, especially last year, it took him almost all the way into the playoffs for him to even, like, be willing to play the champion when we had all the Sivir, you know, just the Sivir comp memes, and now we have the 500 CS Sivir comp meme and all these great things. But, yeah, the fact that he played it, like, two games in a row, he played very well on the champion, even though he did lose in CS, which I think is a little bit weird, um, but it just shows that he's he's putting the team and the thought of going to world above himself and above his own personal success, and I think that is that is massive in his growth of a player. Now, whether this is just a one-week occurrence or whether this is actually a long-term change um, will speak a lot to the rest of the the rest of the year and how successful H2K will be in the rest of the playoffs, the gauntlet, and even going on to Worlds. Yeah, it does give them a edge that I don't think any Forgiven team had before now. We've talked about Forgiven and never won a playoff series before now. It's awesome that he did it. It's really great that we're now seeing him be able to be what a team needed to be. But more importantly to me, it's the fact that he's done something that he never did in a playoff series before now, which is that he trusted his teammates to do their job. That's something, if you look at you know the H2K series, the SK Gaming series, even Gambit for a good portion of that regular season, I think it's a huge step in the direction for Forgiven's career that he was able to do this and make this adaptation. It is a shift of mindset that I did not think he was personally capable of, given the way that he handles himself on social media, given the reputation he has for himself. He has always played previously like he had to be the guy. He was the one he trusted in these big issues. And maybe it's because he hasn't played in a while, you know? H2K openly said in a press release that he hadn't been playing the game for months before they contacted him. 
But he had a chance to make his way into a playoffs. He wasn't going to pass that up, nor should he, for the record. You know, it's unfortunate that Freeze is out, but the show goes on, and I think he does a really good job of taking care of that. And at the end of the day, this is the kind of forgiven I was hoping to see. And if I have to be wrong about the Fnatic pick, I'd rather also be wrong on the idea of how Forgiven's going to play these playoffs because I think that the adaptations that he made and the way that he played gives them a fighting chance against Splice, which is the team we have to talk about. This is their semifinals opponent. It's very easy to get wrapped up in H2K because we just saw that, and it's been a while since we've seen Splice, but Splice was on one heck of a tear going into the end of the regular season. They were incredibly strong in basically every series for the last three or four weeks of the season, with the exception of getting O2'd by Unicorns of Love in Week 9. They've put together a really awesome team-based roster that does a good job of trying to attack teams holistically and from all angles. Walter, what do you think Splice is going to bring to this new meta that could give H2K some fits here and there? So the meta shift worries me a little bit about Splice because they were able to protect Kabe in in lane swaps. They were able to allow him to go out, get himself a lead, and then he could go toe-to-toe against his laner um, because they get kills, etc., etc. This team will probably be one of the best teams in Europe in terms of that, like, six-minute lane swap, take the tower, try to get the first blood. Um, and I would expect teams to be looking at them for that, like to try and prepare ahead of time. Um, that being said, Splice is a great team uh, as a whole. They're really strong in terms of their vision control. They're really strong when you get into later stages of the game. They're no longer just a, okay, let Wonderware put, split push and hopefully we win. Um, they're really smart with their teleport usage from Wonderware teleporting in, setting up really good flanks. Um, just as a whole, this is a really, really strong team. Probably akin to what like CLG was uh, in the spring in terms of just a really strong team-centered play style with everyone buying into the system of, of what Yamato Cannon's been doing. That being said, I'm slightly worried about the talent level matching up against H2K. H2K at every position is more talented than Splice. Omni is more talented than Wonderware, in my opinion, especially now that they are letting him kind of flex his muscles on some of the more carry-style champions. Yankos, definitely more mechanically talented than, than Trashy. I would give Trashy more of a supportive kind of uh, utility-style role. Um, he's definitely going to be more of the Gragas and the, the Elise and the Rek'Sai, where Yankos is really trying to go for those first bloods, really trying to get the kills early on in the game. Mid lane, Senkux versus Ryu, that's probably the closest where, where the players are probably the most even, and it's probably a wash just because of the, kind of the control mage setup. And then in the bot lane, Kabe and Mikey versus Vander and Forgiven, I mean, that's not even close to me. So this series is really going to be about Splice trying to weather that early game aggression and the early game talent that H2K has and getting into that team fight phase, getting into when they can use their superior vision control to set up around objectives and to start pushing towers and to do some really fancy things on, on flanking with Wonderware. I think this is going to be a very, very good game, especially with how well H2K did look up against Fnatic. I'm going to say, I am shocked to hear you say you think that H2K are better across the board. First of all, Wonder was our first team all-pro top laner, 
and it was not particularly close. He had 89 points versus Vizicacci at second with 36. Wonder put on a career season on this team. Highlight reel after highlight reel. He had six different MVP of the games. I think he is a better player than Oduamne. I think Oduamne's had a couple good weeks, and I hope to see him continue at that level. But let's not forget that for most of the season, he was a very underwhelming version of himself. Wonder certainly has been far more consistent over the course of the season. And by the way, our second LCS All-Pro jungler, Trashy, who did better than Yankos consistently throughout the split as far as making sure he was wherever the team needed to go. Granted, you could say that standard lanes maybe changed some things around, but Trashy has consistently been the guy that has instigated things for his laners, that has made these big ganks and made plays that made a massive difference for this game. I don't know, man. When you have four of your five players in the first and second team All-Pro, I think saying that another team is better than you across the board is kind of silly. Oh, okay, okay. I'm not saying they're better than them across the board. That's, those were the literal words you said out of your mouth. Talent-wise. Yeah. Players on H2K are more talented than the players on Splice. Talented. And yet somehow talented. H2K only had two people in the All-Pro 5. And, and Splice had all five of their players in the All-Pro 5. Well, considering... Almost like when we were recognizing individual talent, we looked at what Splice did and said all of them took huge steps up. I I don't think we could... I think consistently Splice looked like a better team and their players looked better individually than I, I think anyone no, outside I of... I completely disagree with that. I completely disagree you with saying... You don't think Sen Cuts outplayed Ryu regular through that? I believe that the, te- the team around them helped those players get better. I don't think that was individually Kabe making such a massive leap in his own individual talent that you could argue he's anywhere close to forgiven. I think this team is the the definition of what it is to be a team, a LCS team. Uh, and team play. I think this. they took what CLG were able to accomplish the last year or so in terms of creating a system and creating a team environment. And they took it to an absolute another level because four of these guys have been playing with each other for almost two years. Right. Exclusively for two years. Yeah. And, and for the record, I give you forgiven. I just, with me, I strongly disagree on Oduamne, Yankos, and, and Ryu. I think, I, this is, I think Sen Cux is a better maybe, individual player. Maybe I'll give player. you Oduamne. Maybe and I'll I think, give you Oduamne, but and, I and cannot tra- give you Yankos. And tra- I can't. You can, Yankos had an amazing week last week. And he's had an amazing two weeks mm-hmm. these last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Consistently throughout the split, he has had ups and downs. There were weeks where H2K really struggled. And I understand that they have not struggled recently but the teams they have played in the last two weeks they Mm -hmm. two-owed unicorns of love you could say are a good team they're in the final four that's a good win they two-owed origin not a good team and they basically four-owed fanatic who do not look like a good team does that mean i am going to give them am i going to give yankos that big of a buff compared to trashy who has been consistent all season long and has been the main playmaker for the team, at the very least, I put that at even. And that's the thing to me that puts Splice, in my opinion, I think they should be pretty sizable favorites if it isn't for the fact I'm expecting the forgiven H2K bump. 
Because I think that not only is Splice better as a team, and they do play these team objectives. You know, we're focusing on individuals, and that's the wrong way to view Splice. I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. These are guys that have played together, that work together, that are on the same page. They rotate really well. Their vision's on point. Their objective control is massive. They do all the things you could ask for of a team. But I also think that their individuals have grown to an extent that if H2K was going to try to pull... You know, the equivalent of what I think of is H2K now looks like TSM did last split, where you have this collection of very talented players, but I don't think they looked like a great team. There were moments in the Fnatic series where Fnatic was irrationally hanging on in games that they had no business being in in the first place because Fnatic was giving them basically everything and yet H2K would overextend it. They'd get caught in Fnatic's jungle because they got too greedy for kills or they'd be miscommunicating and one guy would be on the wrong side and caught out near the dragon pit. They had these kinds of team mistakes that are very reminiscent of that TSM team before Biofrost came in when they were still playing as individuals that didn't have a clear calling style. And to me, those are mistakes you can't afford to make against Splice unless you can overpower them, unless you think that H2K is better across the board. And I think that you value H2K's individuals more than I value H2K's individuals, just because I saw the regular season part where they slumped, and it wasn't that long ago. It was literally, you look at week seven, week eight, all of the weeks before Forgiven came in and quote-unquote fixed everything had significant problems over, you know, throughout the season. There were weeks where Yankos looked bad. We had on this podcast, we can mm-hmm. go back and find you around week seven talking about, man, Yankos just isn't the same player he used to be. Hell, we could see that going into last week, I think we mentioned that Yankos has dropped off a bit. So I'm not willing to believe that H2K can overpower them on an individual perspective. And I don't think they could do it on a team perspective. So, Walter, give me your last pitch and then tell the nice people at home where you put the line. So, so the difference is I think they can overpower them early on in the game. Because Yankos has always been a very strong early game ganking jungler. That's just not Trashy's play. Trashy, I feel like Trashy's just going to try and do a similar thing to what Spirit did. They're just going to try and focus down the bot lane because there is no way you can hide Kabe from Forgiven in that first five minutes. You just can't. You can't pull off those kind of lane swaps without really risking something massive because the amount of gold that you can get from that tower first blood, man, oh, man, is that strong. Man, oh, man, can that throw some lanes into some really weird situations. Let's look back at game one with H2K where Odawamne ended up killing, uh, I think it was the second time that he killed Kickus, and then he took the tower. Like He got a Triforce off of that like mm-hmm. in 10 minutes. It is massive how big of an influence that gold is. And Yankos, throughout the year, he's still been doing those early ganks, but it just wasn't as effective because the number of rotations that were going on in the early game, supports were constantly all of a sudden showing up when he was about to tower dive someone. Now he has to change his his methods and everything. He was very effective dealing with these 1v1 situations when he decided to just give up on trying to defend Forgiven's lane. When he just went top and ganked for Odoamne, Massive success. Game three where he was playing the Hecarim, massively successful. You do not get that out of Trashy. You do get out of Trashy some amazing engages in teamfights, but 
against Fnatic, H2K were able to show that they were able to get out ahead. And once they were able to get that lead, they continued to pressure the enemy team. And I don't think that Splice has been pressured enough over the course of the season for me to say that they're going to be able to withstand that onslaught for 20 minutes and be able to transition into their team fight phase, you know, being down almost 5K. I'm just not quite sure of it. But that being said, to me, Splice are still the favorites. I have Splice at minus 185. Okay, I get this one. You went too high. Uh, H2K, as I said, you're going to get the forgiven bump. Uh, I said minus 150. It is Splice minus 130, which puts H2K at even odds. I'm not sure how to feel about that. Personally, I would grab Splice at minus 130 in a heartbeat because I think those are relatively good odds for what you're going to get. And I think Splice is just straight up a better team. I think H2K might have a couple individual leads, but I don't think Oduamne is going to be able to pull, bully out Wonder and Lane the same way he bullied out Kikis. I don't think that Yankos is that much better of a ganker than Trashy. Is At the very least, I expect Trashy to match him on defensive ganks. And I think they're better on Vision than H2K has proven to be. I think that Senkux could style on Ryu in the right situation. I, so that's where I end up. But I understand that you're, you're a big fan of H2K. You love God Given. Do we just do this at plus 165 to get to five maps? Is this one of those series where we say that Splice will win a couple due to out rotating and H2K will win a couple because they have the laning threats and it just gets to five? I, I think so. I think that's a pretty safe bet. I think this is probably a pretty safe bet to get to five maps. But again, we thought that on a bunch of games last week. and Yeah, that didn't work out so yep. well for us. But we uh, will not lock that in yet. I think we should wait to lock that one in. Until okay. then, we should talk about the other series. Giants versus Unicorns of Love. We called it, baby. We called it the only upset of the week. I'm so proud of us for getting this right. Let's talk about the team that unfortunately is on the losing end of us getting this particular prediction right. And that would be Giants Gaming. Walter, what happened? This team went from being the third seed to now out of the playoffs with barely a whimper on the way out. How did this go so wrong? Couldn't protect their side laners. Mm. The lane swap meta was huge for protecting Smitty J and Sonstar, and they just couldn't do it anymore. They couldn't match up in 1v1 and 2v2 situations. Yeah, that, that's what it comes down to, is the meta just totally neutered anything Giants were able to do, and I don't think they were very well prepared for it. Um, so are we going to ignore that Exile went eight zero eight in Game Three and five zero two in I Game mean, Four and completely I, styled on yeah was when supposed we, to be their best player yeah when we get to Unicorns of Love we can talk about how well Exile has grown over well, the course of the split well I guess I bring it up because I think that the thing that killed Giants even more than their side wave pressure which did kill them by the way that that was <laughs> something that was a genuine concern as Vizichachi was just able to style on Smitty J over and over again. But I don't think the bot lane went nearly as badly as the mid lane did. And I think that's the thing. When you look at the three games they won, Exile had dominant leads overnight, particularly in the laning phase. Yes. Let's, let's just put something out there for people that are, that are casual viewers and, and don't break down the competitive scene as much as we do. When a rise is out farming of Vladimir the first <laughs> 10 to 20 minutes, <laughs> Vladimir done f***ed up. Like, that is an incredible feat. And, and to me, 
This is the thing we've been saying about Giants from the beginning. They win games because Knight is the guy that they can build their team around, that they can trust to build their team around. And then the rest of the team does their part to help him from there. But if he's having games like he did in game four, and especially in game one, where he's just not making an impact, it's not going to matter. The game they won is the game he went 10-1-4 on Echo. Mm -hmm. That's the night we know. That's the night that draws so much attention that the rest of the team can't help but do well on the backs of it. You know, Sunstar mm -hmm. and Smitty J never had to carry games before. But when you're Vladimir's 3-4-1 and one, and there's a 4-2-10 rise on the other side, now suddenly you need Sunstar and Smitty J. And the fact that you can't protect them destroys you. Yeah. And I think that this is a very different series if... Well, I guess maybe this is a better question to ask. Do you think Exile just stepped up and made a leap in this series, or do you think Knight took a step back? I think Exile took a step up, and I also think that Maxilor had to spend a little bit more time on the side lanes because they weren't having this kind of advantage from the, the 2v1 situation, from the lane swap situation. Um, and you, I, I think Unicorns and Love also understood the patch. They just outright understood the patch, understood how to how to make it work. Like we talked about, they had that sort of delayed lane swap that would happen at that five, six minute mark, and they were able to go get that top tower. I thought it was just masterfully done, and man, Sheepy, once again, surprising us on what they're able to accomplish. I, I just, I think it came down to Unicorns of Love were the better team. They were the better prepared team. They were better in every single lane. They were able to match up really well. They didn't play outside of themselves or outside of their win conditions. And Giants just weren't they didn't weren't ready to play. They didn't show up to game. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, they were not ready. And this is the Lozark versus Sheepy matchup that we talked about so much going into the pregame. You know, I I've said a lot of things about Sheepy over the years. A lot of Unicorns of Love fans have gotten very mad at me for saying certain things about Sheepy over the years. And you know what? If they get top three, we actually have to make official apologies to the League of Legends subreddit that had several people ensuring us that this was somehow a top three team. I, I don't know how we got I'll, here. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, Unicorns of Love fans. If they make worlds, I will buy a Unicorns of Love jersey. I might buy one anyway. I like this team. I, the problem is I wouldn't know which player to buy because I have no idea which one's actually going to be here next year. Because <laughs> apparently the Unicorns of Love just serve to give players up to what are supposed to be better teams that then fall flat. So I, Yeah, I, I guess so. I guess that's just where we are right now. I, it's it's so funny to watch. And the thing is, and this is what I love about Unicorns of Love and why I am going to give Sheepy a lot of credit. They built really intelligent compositions time and time again. And not only did they build intelligent compositions, they knew how to use them. I know a lot's been made about the Rise ult getting out of the Baron pit. Guess what? That was as awesome as advertised. You, that play was one of the most fun plays I've seen because just the look on, like, my jaw just drops. I'm like, oh, right. That's a thing they can do if they time it absolutely perfectly and a half second in either direction and they either die or fail to kill Baron. And it was so perfectly executed. You could just tell that they'd theory crafted this and done it in scrims over and over and over again. And man, oh man, was it fun to watch. 
man, I just I loved seeing that. I loved seeing the the Corky out of Veritas. I feel like they they're just preparing for Worlds already just by getting that ready to go. I loved seeing the Cassidin in Game 3 once Rise was locked in. It seemed like they had a much better understanding of how you're supposed to deal with a Rise than the Giants Gaming were able to. So I really think that they're just making smart decisions and smart plays and, and once again doing that thing that we were counting on them to do, which is playing around the hot hand, playing around the idea that you know, when Visichachi is carrying, we let Visichachi be the guy. When Move is going crazy, we let Move grab some more kills like they did in games one and three. And, you know, they played around Exile, who played very well in this series. And we can say all of these nice things for a long time, and then we have to remind you that they're playing G2 this week. And Walter, I mean, for everything that we love about Unicorns of Love... Is that enough when you look at a team that is both talent-filled and well-coached and organized like G2 Esports? Unicorn's saving grace here is that maybe Vizichachi can just stomp the hell out of Expect mm-hmm. and just build such an advantage and pull so much of Trick's time into the top lane that everyone else can sort of hold their own. That's what it's really going to come down to. Because I, I honestly think Chachi is the best top laner in Europe. I think he's better than Wonder. I think he's, I think he is the top top laner in Europe. So that's what it's going to have to come down to. It's really going to have to come down to putting him in a position where he can be successful, where he can have a lot of impact over the course of the map. Whether it's you know by having him have teleport plays, whether it's by having him play something like Shen and having Shen alts, whether it's you put him on a gangplank and you say go carry us, baby. I think Unicorns of Love really have to play around Vizichachi and realizing that that is the one lane that they have a very staunch advantage in and just trying to exploit that as much as they can. Um, outside of that, it's just they need to continue to be creative. I know I hate this line because I think it's really, really kind of awful to say. But Stixay and Smithy did an interview with Travis where they talk about Team Liquid and they go, we know they're the better team. We knew they were a better team than us, so we just had to figure out ways we can cheese them to death. I hate it. I, I absolutely despise that that was said. Well, but it was so beautiful because the whole thing was Liquid trash-talking them for a week about how they were the better team. And so it was that very, yeah, sure, we sure had to cheese them, right? Like it was – they didn't actually mean that they cheesed Liquid. Their picks were very straightforward. It's just that Liquid spent an entire week bragging on social media, especially Loco Doco, about how they were going to be the better team. Turns out they weren't, so they cheesed well, them because we'll that's to, the we'll excuse that Liquid tomorrow. will make. But we'll, we'll get to all that tomorrow. I, I love the quote is all I'm saying. I love the but quote. But that's why I'm using the quote. I don't like the context of what it was said. I do like the quote, and by God, Sheepy, you just cheese this team to your heart's consent, please. Just please. Go cheese G2 as much as you want because – Man, this is a really, really rough series for you guys to go into and, and expect to win. Yeah, I don't know what their plan is. I mean, unfortunately, they don't have... I don't think that Move can play Shaco. I haven't seen it yet. I suppose maybe he has some secret Korean junglers that he just hasn't brought out. But if ever you were going to do it, now is going to be the time. Because as good as Hillsong has been, that bot lane is not beating Sven and Mithy straight up. That's just not going to happen. You're going to have to put Veritas on something like an Ash and pray that the utility matters. But that's the best you can do. 
because you're not beating Sven and Mithy in a straight-up lane. Perks, you know, I, I, as much as I like what Exile did last week, and I think Exile did take a step forward, Knight we had not seen under the bright lights. Perks we have, and Perks plays his best, assuming there's no vacation involved. He tends to play his best in these big moments. And I think that's going to be a hard thing to do. So it does come down to, can visit Chachi style on expect, and what picks can Unicorns of Love pull out? But if we remember anything from the series we'll talk about tomorrow between Envious and Cloud9, is that there is a fine line between cheese and insured self-destruction. And I don't want to see anything like a Jace again. I think we can safely say that that was not the way that teams need to go. But they've got to come up with something, and they have some time. They've had a week by the time that this game starts to figure this out. So it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. At the end of the day, Walter, where does this leave you as far as the line goes? G2 are still massive favorites. Despite how good Unicorns of Love looked against Giants, G2 have to be massive favorites. They really kind of cruised their way. Almost like they were vacationing in Europe. You know, like, they were just nice, relaxed, held back. You know, Perks, he went out on vacation. There were some nice pictures of him at the beach. I think he was in, like, Croatia or something. Like, they're just, they're loving life. This should be another kind of easy, breezy week for them to get through. And then next week, they do get to go on vacation to Krakow, Poland. So, (laughs) I have G2 at minus 333 vacations. Okay. You get this one. I did not nearly give them enough vacations. I don't know why... (laughs) That means we split the week, which unfortunately isn't good for you because we're running out of weeks. You're lucky that the regionals are a thing. But it is – I said G2 minus 250. It is G2 minus 625. They're not even pretending. (laughs) And for the record, G2 went 4-0 against Unicorns of Love in the regular season. None of the games were close. I went back and looked at all of them. Unicorns of Love have not put a scratch on G2's armor at this point. And you can make the argument that Unicorns of Love are playing a lot better in recent weeks, and I'm not going to disagree with that. But, you know, everything you can say about Unicorns of Love, oh, they know how to play to the hot hand. G2's hot hands are hotter, and they have more of them, (laughs) and one of them's going to be the MVP of the split in Trick, and one of them's the best AD carry in the league by far in Zven. I don't know what you're supposed to do if you're Unicorns of Love outside of just try to cheese it. But cheese does not give you a high percentage to win. It just gives you some percentage to win. And honestly, when we're looking at smart money bets, you know, I'm looking at smart money bets. The one that jumps out to me is G2 getting the 3-0 at plus 160. I think that's a lot more likely than, say, Unicorns of Love getting a 3-2 or better, which is the other plus 160 handicap line. I don't think this is going to five games. I just, I'm finding it hard to find value anywhere else. And if Unicorns of Love haven't won yet, I'm not sure what's going to change that. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I have this naggy little feeling that it's going to be like a 3-1. I just feel like Unicorns of Love will have one game where they do cheese or they just have a really, really good Vizichachi game. Um, But I think 3-0 is definitely our best bet to try and make some money. Absolutely. That's that's where we're leaning right now. We gave you our two leaning bets. You know, now that we're in the semifinals, I think it's time to bring in a special segment onto the pod. We're going to call this Stats with Steve. 
I think we've mentioned Steve Kaffmeyer from eSports Fans multiple times over the course of this podcast. And we have him now here with us to not only help make sure that we're making the smart money bets, but to give an objective statistical look at the semifinals matchups we have in front of us. Steve, let's start just to help people understand exactly what it is you do. How does your formula work in just basic terms on, on how it tries to calculate the expected win rate versus what you might see a casino try to give out? Well, basically what it does is it gives each team a power rating, like basically negative 10 to 10, and it adds the two teams' power ratings together, depending on which is on blue or red. So if, say, G2 is a plus 7.5 and unicorns are a plus 2, it'll predict that G2 wins by 5.5. So it's in terms of margin of victory is what we're trying to predict. Mm-hmm. Instead of, and then based on how big the margin of victory is, it's how likely the team is to win. You can do that using logistic regression, which is what I do. So what does your model say then about the the H2K versus Splice series? Basically, right now, I have H2K as a plus two in the model, and Splice is about a plus five. So depending on who's red and on who's blue... It comes out to splice winning about 61% of the time Okay. on a single map. If splice is going to win 61% of the time, that would put the line at minus 156. The actual line is minus 130. Your line is where I put the line, but clearly the casinos, whether it's the VIG or whatever else, are factoring H2K a little bit higher. I guess that would probably be accounted for by the fact that Forgiven wasn't there for a lot of the weeks that you're taking into your model, correct? Yeah, exactly. Um, How it works is it updates based on the difference between the expected and the actual margin of victory. So with him not being there for most of the season, it definitely probably isn't accurately representing how good H2K are. So we might have to manually put that in. So with that said, do you think our over plus four and a half maps played for H2K versus Splice, given how close these teams should theoretically be at plus 165, is a good line? Do you feel good about that smart money bet from us? Not exactly, no. Um, Basically, plus 165 would imply that they have to be almost exactly even. It's really hard to go to five maps just because... If you look at the percentages based on five-game series, you probably want at least plus 175. It's probably a good bet in, in my mind, but not not high like edge, really. Yeah. Well, the problem is the only line that's uh, also a plus bet on this is splice minus one and a half. Of those two, which do you think is more likely, given what the numbers are telling you? Um... I'd take Splice one and a half. Really? Definitely. Okay. I I would probably just bet the series money line. I mean, I'm a little more willing to lay the odds than you guys seem to be on the podcast. You seem to almost always just bet with the plus money, which is a good strat in general. But yeah, well, we have. There's still some edges that can be had when betting into the big this is good to know for people at home who aren't us and don't only get to make two bets a week we have to go for pluses because we don't get a lot of 
edge bets. Unfortunately, I don't think I'm selling Walter on splice minus one and a half in the slightest, given what we talked about earlier. I think that's <laughs> safe to say. Not. No, probably not. <laughs> But uh, but so so we'll keep that smart money bet, and we'll accept the fact that it's probably not as much value as we'd like. But that leads us to G two versus Unicorns of Love. How overwhelming are the odds for G two when you look at what your model's telling you? Basically, my model puts G two at around seven and a half, and Unicorns at anywhere between one point nine and two point five. So. You can see how it kind of likes unicorns just as much as H2K, which probably isn't the best uh, reflection of reality for how much it likes H2K. So with that said, um, actual win likelihood G2 versus UOL on a single map was around 70% for G2, which gave them a series price of about minus 488. Yeah, and minus 488 is below what the actual line was, which is minus 625. And I think that comes down to the fact that this isn't best of one. You've got to do that three times in a row. Now, given that it's a 70% chance, we're looking at G2 minus 2.5 over Unicorns of Love at plus 160. Just G2 getting the 3-0. Unicorns of Love haven't touched him yet. Is that a fair line to go for? Or are we taking a kind of a sucker's bet by thinking that that 70% is going to come in three times in a row. Yeah, it's, it's a bad line. You shouldn't bet it. <laughs> Why is it bad? How badly are we off here? Um, I think you're losing about 7%. So basically, chances of a 3-0 winning every game at 71% is about 35.8. Uh-huh. And so that's just not high enough to get... You want a, you want a bigger plus money, you'd probably need plus 180 be confident in it well to be fair if we're only losing 20 points and the casinos are always going to give us a vig yeah you're basically in line with the vig here yeah i kind of feel okay with that i I think that's something that we can live with oh absolutely otherwise we've got to start giving unicorns of love things like plus one and a half to get a similar odd and i really don't feel good about unicorns of love somehow taking two maps here so you know we We've got some, some numbers that say that the VIGs aren't quite where we might want them to be, but it does look like our bets pass the close enough test given the casinos never give you the full value that we're going to lock those two in for you guys. Steve, sa- thank you so much for coming on. This was Stats with Steve. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Steve, any shout-outs before we let you go? My pleasure, Chase. Just happy to come on the pod for once. Uh, we're happy to have you, my friend. And we're happy that you guys were able to listen to the show. If you guys enjoyed it, you should go to soundcloud.com slash esportsroughdrafts or on iTunes if you search for Rough Drafts on the Podcast Center. Of course, you can also find all of our podcasts on slingshotesports.com. There are so many great articles on there that you guys are sure to enjoy. Interviews for all of your favorite games. It's a great website with tons of great contributors that we're really happy to be a part of. And we definitely suggest that you check that out, as well as the write-ups we all do. Walter's going to do a nice little write-up for you guys, uh, kind of summarizing everything we feel about these European semifinals. So you should go check that out. And you should go check him out on social media. Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? You guys can find me and my 10,000-word ode to Forgiven at C80s underscore LOL. And you can find me at Redshirt King. Steve, where can people find you? 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter, I guess, at calf, C-A, followed by six Fs. There you go. And of course, don't forget to follow at Rough Drafts Pod if you're one of those live tweeting fans. We do all of our live tweets over there. You guys really had a fun, lot of fun with us this week, uh, especially the roller coaster of a game that was the H2K Fanatic series. Just the slow descent into madness and Walter's intensified glee over what's happening in front of us. Uh, we're going to do more of that this week. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. And until tomorrow, where we'll be talking about NA. Goodbye, Internet.